The ACB Braille Forum, Volume 55, January 2017, Number 7 Published by the American Council of the Blind Read by Bart Morse in the recording studio of the Perkins Library Be a part of ACB The American Council of the Blind, trademark, is a membership organization made up of more than 70 state and special interest affiliates. To join, contact the National Office at 1-800-424-8666. Contribute to our work. Those much-needed contributions, which are tax-deductible, can be sent to Attention Treasurer, ACB, 6300 Shingle Creek Parkway, Suite 195, Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, 55430. If you wish to remember a relative or friend, the National Office has printed cards available for this purpose. Consider including a gift to ACB in your last will and testament. If your wishes are complex, call the National Office. To make a contribution to ACB by the Combined Federal Campaign, use this number, 11155. Check in with ACB. For the latest in legislative and governmental news, call the Washington Connection 24-7 at 1-800-424-8666 or read it online. Listen to ACB reports by downloading the MP3 file from www.acb.org or call 605-475-8154 and choose option 3. Tune in to ACB Radio at www.acbradio.org or by calling 605-475-8130. Learn more about us at www.acb.org. Follow us on Twitter at ACBNATIONAL or like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash A-M-E-R-I-C-A-N-C-O-U-N-C-I-L-O-F-T-H-E-B-L-I-N-D-O-F-F-I-C-I-A-L. Copyright 2016 American Council of the Blind. Eric Bridges, Executive Director. Sharon Lovering. Editor, 1703 North Beauregard Street, Suite 420, Alexandria, Virginia, 22311. Table of Contents President's Message White House Summit on Inclusive Technology Spotlights Innovation for People with Disabilities by Kim Charlson ACB Survey Finds Need for Increased Audio Description by Tony Stevens. Reno Tours feature Earth, Stars, Dinosaur, Tubing, and much more by Janet Dickelman. Reach for the Adventure of a Lifetime. Be a DKM First-Timer by Alan Casey. Voting in ACB Part 2 by Jeff Tom. Resolve to Support ACB in 2017 by Mike Godino and Jean Mann. Braille Funnies by Larry P. Johnson Affiliate News Ida Schwartzel, A Century of Memories, Part 1 
by Greg Lindbergh. The Passing of a Pioneer, Theodore Bryant, by Alan Casey. How to Use All Your Resources to Build Your Membership, compiled by Artis Bazin. Here and There, edited by Sharon Strakowski. High-Tech Swap Shop. Are you moving? Do you want to change your subscription? Contact Sharon Lovering in the ACB National Office, 1-800-424-8666, or via email, s-l-o-v-e-r-i-n-g at acb.org. Give her the information, and she'll make the changes for you. Keep up with the most important ACB news and announcements without any other chatter. Subscribe to the ACB Announce Listserv. Send a blank email to a-n-n-o-u-n-c-e hyphen s-u-b-s-c-r-i-b-e at a-c-b-l-i-s-t-s dot org or visit www.acblist.org dot org slash m-a-i-l-m-a-n slash l-i-s-t-i-n-f-o slash a-n-n-o-u-n-c-e and type your email address and name where indicated. For news you can use, check out the new ACB Radio World News and Information at acbradio.org. Blind show hosts offer a plethora of musical genres at www.acbradio.org slash I-N-T-E-R-A-C-T-I-V-E President's Message White House Summit on Inclusive Technology Spotlights Innovation for People with Disabilities by Kim Charlson On November 7th, I had the opportunity to join Eric Bridges and Tony Stevens at the White House and participate in a summit on inclusive technology for people with disabilities sponsored by the White House Office of Engagement. Technological advancements with the potential to increase the independence and community integration of people with disabilities are moving at breakneck speed. New connected devices, which become part of the Internet of Things, are being brought to the market every day. The White House Disability and Inclusive Technology Summit brought together disability advocates technology, industry representatives, and federal officials to examine approaches to ensure that the Internet of Things is accessible and that inclusive design is central to tech development along the way. Speakers included Megan Smith, U.S. Chief Technology Officer, White House Office of Science and Technology Policy, Tom Khalil, Deputy Director for Policy and Senior Advisor for Science, Technology, and Innovation, White House Office of Science and Technology, Policy, and National Economic Council, and Daniel Castro, Vice President of the Information Technology Innovation Foundation and Director of the Center for Data Innovation. Panel topics included disability inclusion in the Internet of Things, creating an environment to promote accessibility, promoting innovation in assistive technology and prosthetics, Embedding Accessibility in STEM Education and Building Relationships Between Industry and the Disability Community.
ACB Executive Director Eric Bridges spoke on the panel that discussed creating an environment to promote accessibility with Karen Peltz-Strauss, Deputy Chief of the Consumer and Governmental Affairs Bureau at the Federal Communications Commission, and Jenny Leigh-Fleury, Chief Accessibility Officer at Microsoft. ACB has a strong working relationship with the FCC and with Microsoft to advance accessibility for people who are blind surrounding technology. It was clear that advocates and industry recognize the important role ACB plays in the technology accessibility arena. One of the areas discussed that I believe will impact accessibility at a systematic level is the concept of embedding accessibility in STEM education. Larry Goldberg, Director of Accessible Media at Yahoo, is one of the major leaders of the Teach Access initiative. The Teach Access project brings technology companies, academia, and advocates together to make accessibility a part of STEM education at the high school and college levels. Until we begin to teach the next generation of designers, computer programmers, engineers, and researchers to think and build inclusive products and software, we will continue to make access an afterthought. Similarly, academic programs in design, engineering, and human-centered interface must seek ways to better prepare students to address the needs of diverse populations, including people with all types of disabilities. To make access fundamental at the design level, we must begin teaching and training students of technology to create accessible experiences at the design level of a project. Industry has recognized that the success of acquiring staff at all levels with the right skill sets in accessibility relies on a technical workforce familiar with and trained on the fundamentals of designing, developing, testing, and proliferating accessible technologies, including the common standards and specifications and alternative interfaces used by people with disabilities. These skills should be spread throughout engineering, development, and design positions, not just those dedicated full-time to accessibility. It will take some time, but I believe the rewards are already being demonstrated in industry. The more students learn about accessibility, the more brain power will be dedicated to access issues across the board within technology companies. Sometimes this broader educational effort will turn to advocates to speak to classes of students working on projects. I would urge you to take advantage of opportunities to speak with students about the accessibility needs of people who are blind or visually impaired, because the amazing solutions to our access challenges will come from these minds. Take the time to encourage and stimulate the intellectual curiosity of students in the area of access. It will be worth the effort for the future. To learn more about the Teach Access Project, visit teachaccess.org. ACB Survey Finds Need for Increased Audio Description by Tony Stevens Results are in from ACB's National Survey on Described Audio Content. More than 479 people filled out the survey, which has identified major demand for the increase in available audio-described programming carried through television broadcast, 
satellite, and cable programming. The study painted an interesting portrait of the use of audio description for television, with responses coming from Americans who were blind, visually impaired, or had other relationships to Americans with vision loss. Findings indicated that three out of four respondents felt the current amount of available audio-described content was significantly below demand, and other obstacles still exist for accessing currently available content. At a glance, 91% of respondents reported listening to audio description in the past, with 69.7% blind, 21.1% visually impaired, and 8.2% cited. 75.3% of respondents strongly agree that a greater amount of audio-described programming is needed. Almost half, 45%, have difficulty in finding programs with audio description. More than half, 53% of respondents, were over the age of 50, with one-third between the ages of 50 and 64. Breakdown of data showed overwhelming majority of use, regardless of the degree of vision loss, with 9 out of 10 being blind and 8 out of 10 partially sighted. More than three-quarters of respondents who were sighted reported using audio description in the household, noting among the reasons being other disabilities or roommates who were blind as a factor. One respondent who reported having no visual impairment but was autistic said that audio description is used in conjunction with closed captioning in order to better assist with following the content. Key Takeaways Described audio programming is not just for individuals who are totally blind but significantly used within the low-vision, partially-sighted community. With this in mind, the Centers for Disease Control report through their Vision Health Initiative, that the current number of legally blind Americans is 3.4 million, while over 21 million have visual impairment even with corrective lenses, and an estimated 80 million have potentially blinding diseases like diabetes. The CDC reports that this number will likely double by 2030. Note Centers for Disease Control's Vision Health Initiative, accessed October 24, 2016, at www.cdc.gov/visionhealth/basiconhinformation_visionhealth_initiative. L-O-S-S dot H-T-M End note Past studies have shown that over 75% of individuals who are blind or have significant vision loss live in a household with more than one individual. Note Zuckerman, Diana M. 2004 Blind Adults in America, Their Lives and Challenges National Center on Research for Women and Families Accessed October 21, 2016, at CENTER, numeral 4, RESEARCH dot org, slash MEDICAL hyphen CARE hyphen FOR hyphen ADULTS slash 
D-I-S-A-B-I-L-I-T-I-E-S slash B-L-I-N-D hyphen A-D-U-L-T-S hyphen I-N hyphen A-M-E-R-I-C-A hyphen T-H-E-I-R hyphen L-I-V-E-S hyphen A-N-D hyphen C-H-A-L-L-E-N-G-E-S slash End note. ACB recognizes that a significant share of American households will significantly be impacted, requiring greater steps be taken to make homes more universally accessible. Television provides a window into the outside world, and while the CDC's VHI acknowledges that increased morbidity, depression, and other factors that prevent social inclusion are greater for individuals with severe vision loss, ACB encourages any action that can be taken to improve the quality of life through universal access in a manner that creates equal participation and inclusion in American society. ACB asserts that the demand for audio description will continue to rise for the next two decades. Furthermore, the need will be greatest within households having residents 50 years or older. According to industry data from 2015, this demographic is the most loyal to the cable industry, with 83% of Americans over age 50 subscribing to cable, compared to only 65% for younger adults who are leaving cable for alternative viewing experiences. Note. Horrigan, John. Duggan, Maeve, December 21, 2015. Home Broadband 2015. One in seven Americans are television cord cutters. Washington, D.C. Pew Research Center. Accessed October 21, 2016 at www.pewinternet.org slash 2015 slash one two slash two one slash four hyphen O N E hyphen I N hyphen S E V E N hyphen A M E R I C A N S hyphen A R E hyphen T E L E V I S I O N hyphen C O R D hyphen C U T T E R S Slash. End note. The more audio-described programming that is able to be televised via broadcast, satellite, and cable, then the greater the benefit for an increasingly growing segment of Americans. Reno tours feature Earth, stars, dinosaur, tubing, and much more. By Janet Dickelman. What a great way to begin the new year with the tentative tour scheduled for the 2017 American Council of the Blind Conference and Convention. Convention dates are June 30th through July 7th. The Nugget Casino and Resort in Sparks, Nevada, is the place to be for all the affiliate and committee programming, informative and inspiring general sessions, lots of social activities, and the chance to mingle with friends old and new. Below is our preliminary schedule. Complete tour descriptions will be provided closer to the convention. Please keep in mind that tour schedules are subject to change.
Friday, June 30. 1. Three unique museums in one visit. At the Fleischmann Planetarium, touch the earth as it revolves. Feel bodies of water, mountains, and land masses. Feel the craters of the moon. Experience the power of the sun. Watch a movie about space and enter a black hole simulator. At the Museum of Natural History, explore Cuba's extraordinary biodiversity and unique culture through immersive exhibits. Visit the Titanosaur, a cast of a 122-foot-long dinosaur. The species is so new that it has not yet been formally named by the paleontologists who discovered it. The W.M. Keck Earth Science and Mineral Engineering Museum houses an outstanding collection of minerals, ores, and fossil specimens, in addition to mining-related relics. Lunch and time in the gift shop are included in this amazing tour. 2. Tahoe Dinner Cruise You'll receive a glass of champagne as you board the boat and be served a plated dinner. After dinner, sit on one of two decks. One has a band, the other will be more conducive for visiting. Saturday, July 1 1. Tubing down the Truckee River That's right, lay back in a tube and float down the Truckee River. You will be wearing a life jacket and helmet. Guides will be there to help you along. After tubing, enjoy a picnic lunch that includes soda and beer. 2. City Bus Tours The always popular narrated tour will tell you about the history and culture of Reno. 3. National Automobile Museum Celebrating America's love affair with the automobile. 3,000 vintage vehicles are housed in this museum. We'll have a special white-glove hands-on experience. If you joined ACB in 2011 for a visit to this museum, you'll want to go again. Exhibits change often. In addition to the automobiles, you'll learn a bit about the history of various time periods. Enjoy lunch among the automobiles. Sunday, July 2. 1. City Bus Tours. See Saturday's description. 2. Greenhorn Creek Ranch. Swim in the outdoor pool. Take a horseback ride, fish in the stocked pond, or lounge on the saloon porch in a comfy rocking chair. Take a wagon ride and enjoy a cookout with all the fixings. Monday, July 3. 1. Nevada State Railroad Museum. Hear the sounds of train whistles and the hiss of the steam engine. Lots of hands-on railroad memorabilia. Take a 25-minute ride on a steam engine train. 2. Blackjack Tournament Training Learn the fundamental rules, terminology, strategy, and etiquette that are unique to table games. Casino dealers demonstrate possible combinations, explain the odds, and show how you would be paid on a winning hand. 3. Slot Machine Tournament Play slots for a prescribed time period. At the end of each round, scores will be tallied and top scorers will win free slot play. Tuesday, July 4. 1. ACB Texas Hold'em Tournament. Here's your chance to match your poker skills with other ACBers, even if you have never played before. The dealers will teach you how to play before the tournament begins. 
prize money awarded based on the total number of players. 2. Slot Machine Tournament. See Monday's description. 3. Blackjack Tournament. 4. Fourth of July Festival. Just steps from the hotel is the Nugget-sponsored Fourth of July Festival. Music, crafts, food vendors, and a huge fireworks show. Join our tour and enjoy it all. Wednesday, July 5. 1. Churchill Vineyards and Spirits. Information on how wines and various spirits are made. Tour will include time for tasting and shopping. 2. Sweet Tooth Tour. Visit Kimmy Candy Company for a video on candy making, a factory tour, a stop in the sample room, and lots of time for candy buying. Note, guide dogs cannot be taken into the factory and all attendees must wear hairnets. The factory is only a portion of the tour. Make arrangements with a friend on the tour to stay with your dog while you are in the factory, or you can forego that portion of the tour if you'd prefer. 3. Nevada Aces Game Join in the fun at this minor league baseball game. The Aces are the farm team for the Arizona Diamondbacks and will be playing the Tacoma Rainiers, Seattle's farm team. Enjoy a great buffet of pulled pork and barbecue chicken before the game. Friday, July 7. 1. Virginia City. Visit this historic town, including a narrated trolley tour, a trip into a gold mine, a Wild West show, and lots of time for shopping. Lunch on your own. 2. Dinner and a show. End your week with a great meal and a stage show, TBA. Staying in touch. Once again this year, the conference and convention announce list will be filled with information. To subscribe to the list, send a blank email to acbconvention subscribe at acblists.org. If you received updates for the 2016 convention, you need not subscribe again. Hotel details. All rooms at the Nugget have refrigerators and safes. Room rates at the Nugget are $89, single or double occupancy, with an additional $10 per person for up to four people per room. Room tax is currently 13.5%. Effective June 2016, there is also a $2 per day tourism tax added to each room. When you book your reservation, one night's stay will be charged to your credit card. Included in the room rate is the hotel resort fee, which covers round-trip shuttle transportation to and from Reno Tahoe International Airport, complimentary wireless internet in guest rooms, daily complimentary bottled water, two bottles per room per day, unlimited use of the year-round atrium pool, unlimited use of the fitness center, full-service concierge, valet and self-parking in the secured, covered parking structure. To make reservations, call 1-800-648-1177 and ask for group code, all caps, GACB17.
You may also make reservations online by visiting www.acb.org and following the 2017 Conference and Convention link. Convention Contacts 2017 Exhibit Information Michael Smitherman 601-331-7740 A-M-D-U-O at B-E-L-L-S-O-U-T-H dot net 2017 Advertising and Sponsorships Marjorie Beeman 512-921-1625 O-L-E-O-5-0 at H-O-T-M-A-I-L dot com For any other Convention-related questions, contact Janet Dickelman, Convention Chair, at 651-428-5059 or via email janet.dickelman at gmail.com. Reach for the Adventure of a Lifetime. Be a DKM First-Timer. By Alan Casey. Year in and year out, the message is the same. The Derwood K. McDaniel First Timers Program offers ACB members the opportunity to participate in the National Conference and Convention, learn more about ACB's work in the national and international arenas, and experience a once-in-a-lifetime adventure. How, then, can the impact of selection as a first-timer be measured? Consider, for example, the experience of Kenneth Semyon, Sr., President of ACB Texas, a 2010 DKM first-timer. Being selected as a DKM first-timer, Kenneth asserts, gave me an access pass to an adventure and grand exploration of the history of ACB, its mission, purpose, and the dynamic impact it has made and continues to make in the lives of Americans who are blind, have low vision, and those who may join this population during adulthood, as I did. And, Kenneth continues, I have discovered a renewed purpose for living through my involvement in serving on all levels as state, special interest affiliate, and chapter president, in addition to being an active participant on committees that work to keep ACB thriving. The culmination of the annual DKM selection process is the naming of two ACB members, one from east and one from west of the Mississippi River, to attend the National Conference and Convention in Reno as guests of ACB and the DKM Committee. The DKM program will fund round-trip air travel and supporting transportation, hotel accommodations, double occupancy, per diem allowance for meals and incidentals, reception and banquet tickets, and convention registration fee. The cost of optional tours and similar activities will be borne by the individual. The responsibilities of each recipient include but are not limited to attending the full week of conference and convention activities, participating in daily general sessions, the ACB Leadership Institute, and special interest seminars, and interacting with ACB leaders and fellow members. To be eligible for consideration and selection, each applicant must complete a three-step process. First, the applicant will satisfy the basic eligibility requirements. Be age 18 or older, blind or visually impaired, member in good standing of ACB, 
never have attended a previous ACB national conference and convention. Second, each applicant must submit two letters to the committee, a letter of application and a letter of recommendation. The former will introduce the applicant to the committee and include, among other things, the objectives in applying for the award, a brief summary of education and related experience, and an assessment of the importance of the first-timer's award to the applicant's career development, as well as benefits to his or her affiliate and community. The latter must be submitted by the president of the applicant's ACB state or special interest affiliate, and should assess the applicant's leadership, contributions, and potential. Third, eligible applicants will be interviewed by DKM committee members. All application materials should be forwarded to Kelly Gask, K-G-A-S-Q-U-E, at acb.org, and must be received in the ACB National Office no later than April 3. Incomplete applications will not be considered. Telephone interviews will be scheduled for mid-April. The committee will select the 2017 first-timers in late April. Eligible applicants will be notified at that time. Direct your questions to DKM Chair Alan Casey, M-A-H-A-T-M-A-A-C, at AOL.com. Join Kenneth Semyon and more than 40 other ACB members and share the adventure of a lifetime as a Derwood K. McDaniel first-timer. Voting in ACB Part 2 by Jeff Tom One of the most important internal issues facing ACB over the next several years is that of determining whether we need to alter our system of voting, and if so, how, especially with respect to whether those not attending our annual conference should be able to vote in elections or on constitutional and resolution matters. In Part 1 of this series, see the November 2016 issue, we explored some of the arguments underlying the need for changes in our voting system, including those of increasing membership and the problems faced by the potential for declining convention attendance. We also examined some of the principles important to us in determining what, if any, voting system changes should be made, noting that these principles may, in some instances, lead to contradictory views on the most effective voting system design. In this article, we focus on what technology can and cannot do for us, keeping in mind those principles, elucidated in Part 1. A few ACB affiliates, including Guide Dog Users, Inc., GDUI, are currently using voting system technology for their entire voting process. The voting system used by GDUI provides an effective, efficient, reasonably secure mechanism for members to vote via either telephone or computer. Moreover, such technology is usable both for elections and for voting on resolutions or Constitution and bylaws amendments. Thus, it is important to begin exposing members to this technology. Using this technology, everyone is provided with a secure identification number, and notice is given ahead of time of when the voting process begins. Notices can be sent out via email or by postcard. A determination is made in advance how long voters will have to cast their ballots. 
In the case of GDUI, it is two weeks. Votes can be cast electronically or via telephone. Information can be included as part of the ballot regarding candidates or measures being voted on. Most users have found the system easily usable. However, neither this technology nor other easily available methods lend themselves to an effective means of extending the right to vote to members not attending an ACB convention during the convention itself under our current system of elections. Many issues arise when attempting to adapt this type of system to voting during a convention, but I'll highlight one that illustrates the incompatibility with our current system. First, because nominations for office often occur from the floor, and when no candidate receives a majority vote, we need to hold another election in that race. Our current system requires real-time ballots to be prepared. It appears to be very difficult, if not impossible, to prepare the telephonic or online ballot in real time using existing technology. Moreover, assuming this technological barrier can be overcome, it is very likely that the cost might well be prohibitive for ACB. Of course, we do not know whether and when the barriers presented by technology, including cost, security, and the ability for non-convention attendees to vote in real time, may be overcome. As the dialogue over potential changes to our system of voting proceeds, we will certainly continue to examine the ever-changing state of voting system technology. So, what might a future voting system for ACB look like? There are a host of possibilities, both with respect to constitutional and bylaws amendments, resolutions, and elections for office. For example, resolutions and amendments to the Constitution and bylaws could be voted on only at conventions. Alternatively, they could be required to be proposed by some date prior to or during convention and voted on during a period that ends sometime after convention. If resolutions and constitutional amendments are voted on either after convention or during convention by those not attending it, questions arise as to whether proposals could be modified after they are originally presented and the impact on the ability to conduct debate. With respect to elections, they might be conducted in such a manner that the convention narrowed the choices to two and members would vote after convention to decide the winner. If barriers to real-time voting are overcome, then even more possibilities arise. There is no question that we face difficult decisions about the future of our voting system, even though final decisions may be years away. If we are to make the best decision possible for ACB, we need to examine the changes within ACB and to voting technology in light of the long-held values of this organization. The more dialogue we have today about the future of our voting system, the better decisions we will make tomorrow. Resolve to Support ACB in 2017 by Mike Godino and Gene Mann Happy New Year from the Monthly Monetary Support Program, MMS Committee. We hope that 2017 finds you happy and healthy, and we hope it's a prosperous one for all of us. If you attended or streamed the 2016 ACB Annual Conference and Convention, you already know that the MMS Committee met its goal of raising annual donations to ACB 
to $100,000. This shows real commitment and support by you, the membership, and we sincerely thank all of you who joined the MMS program for the first time and those of you who increased your monthly donations. We're hoping that more of you will decide to join with us or raise the amount you're already giving so that in 2017 we'll exceed this year's goal by 10%. ACB tries to provide services and support free of charge to all blind people and those who are blind with other disabilities, those who are friends or relatives of blind people, employers, and those who are in the process of losing their sight. Our staff and board members work with Congress, the FCC, the Department of the Treasury, and countless other government agencies and organizations to make life better for all of us. They also work with blindness organizations around the world when issues present themselves. Your monthly donations help make this all possible. Your contribution is tax-deductible. Whatever amount you designate, the minimum being $10, will be taken out of your checking account or charged to your credit card each month. You can donate the whole amount to ACB or half of it to ACB and the other half to an affiliate of your choice. If it becomes necessary for you to stop your donations for any reason, you can do so, no questions asked. Everybody who joins the MMS program or increases their monthly donation by at least $5 before the end of the 2017 convention will be eligible to win a fabulous prize. There are two simple ways for you to sign up for the MMS program. One, visit www.acb.org, tab to the Donate Now button, and then tab to the Monthly Monetary Support MMS program. Or, two, call or email Lori Sarf at the Minnesota office, 612-332-3242, L-S-A-R-F-F at acb.org. Either way, it's easy to begin making monthly contributions or increasing current ones. If you're like most of us, you've already broken those resolutions you made on New Year's Eve. Why not resolve this year to help support ACB financially with a monthly donation? It will be one of the most beneficial resolutions you've ever made and one of the easiest to keep. Braille Funnies by Larry P. Johnson Editor's Note Larry Johnson is an author and motivational speaker. You can contact him via email at larjo1 at prodigy dot net or visit his website at www.mexicobytouch.com I've been a Braille user for over 75 years. Using Braille has brought me more than a few chuckles. Checking in at the Hilton Hotel in Kansas City a few years ago, I kidded the bell person because they had placed the Braille numeral outside my room upside down. Later that evening, I returned to the hotel, took the elevator up to my floor, and promptly forgot my room number. Embarrassed, I began walking along the corridor reading the room numbers and trying to remember mine when suddenly my fingers came across a Braille numeral that was upside down. Voila! Their mistake was my salvation. I did my undergraduate study at Northwestern University in Evanston, just outside Chicago. 
The winters there are bitterly cold. I commuted each day to class, which meant a 30-minute bus ride, a block-and-a-half walk to catch the train, and then a six-block walk to the campus. Not a difficult journey when the weather was mild, but during mid-January it could be frigidly numbing. With the wind blowing off the lake at 20 miles an hour and the temperature hovering around zero, arriving to my 8 a.m. radio announcing class, I asked the professor if he would schedule me last to read the commercials we were assigned to read over the microphone because my fingers were so frozen I couldn't feel the brailled dots on my script. His roguish reply drew raucous laughter from my classmates. I thought I'd heard all the excuses. I guess I'll just have to give you an F for frozen fingers. Then there's the other extreme. It was a wonderful surprise one sunny August afternoon here in San Antonio, when I was visiting the San Antonio Botanical Gardens, where I discovered that volunteers had placed braille inscriptions on copper plaques, identifying the plants and herbs. I certainly appreciated their desire to make information accessible to blind folks like me, but it takes a really dedicated Braille reader to be willing to run his-her fingers across those Brailled copper plaques after they'd been heated up a few hours by our ferocious tropical Texas sun. One big advantage of Braille is that you can read your presentation to an audience while looking straight at them. However, some sighted people are confused by this. Recently, I delivered a short talk to a group of seniors at an inauguration ceremony. As I was speaking, a woman turned to a friend and commented, Do you notice how nervous he is? He keeps fumbling with his papers. The friend replied, Silly, he's not fumbling with his papers. He's reading Braille. On another occasion in college, as the professor turned to the blackboard and began writing and speaking, I began taking notes in Braille. She stopped and turned around, so I stopped writing. After a pause, she turned again to the blackboard and resumed her lecture in writing. I resumed my note-taking. Stopping this time in mid-sentence, she turned to the class and demanded to know who was making that tapping noise while she was talking. I lifted my slate off my desk and showed it to her. It's me, I said. She had never before seen Braille or a slate and stylus. She was embarrassed, but that day... She was also educated. For some, Braille may be a bumpy road to knowledge, but for me, it has been a wonderful way to keep in touch. Affiliate News AAVL offers 2017 conference and convention stipend. Those age 55 and older comprise more than half of the vision-impaired population, and the number of such seniors is dramatically increasing every year. Thus, it is incumbent upon ACB that the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss, AAVL, its special interest affiliate created specifically for that population, be as strong as possible. Toward that effort, AAVL is offering a $500 stipend to an individual who has suffered recent vision loss and who will be attending the 2017 conference and convention in Reno. To be considered for the stipend, you must meet the following criteria. Be age 55 or older. You must have been diagnosed as legally blind or experienced significant vision loss within the last five years. 
You must complete the application below and include a reference letter from your eye care specialist or a community professional who is aware of your vision loss. If you are awarded the stipend, you must register to attend the ACB convention. The stipend will be applied to reimburse convention expenses when you arrive at the convention. If selected to receive the stipend, you must register to attend all AAVL activities. Current AAVL members are not eligible to apply. Applications should be submitted electronically or printed. Handwritten applications will not be accepted. You may submit your application via email to O-M-I-L-L-E-R, numerals 58, at C-O-M-C-A-S-T dot net, or mail to A-A-V-L, care of Oral Miller, 3701, Connecticut Avenue, Northwest, apartment 236, Washington, D.C., 20008. All applications and reference letters must be received by March 15, 2017 to be considered. Application for stipend. Name, age, mailing address, telephone number, email address. Are you a member of ACB? How did you hear about AAVL? How do you think you will benefit from participating in AAVL activities? Were you diagnosed as legally blind or with significant vision loss within the last five years? How is your vision loss affecting your activities of daily living? What are your major concerns about your loss of sight? Give a brief description of your community involvement. AABT offers Marsha Nigro Dresser Memorial Scholarship. The American Association of Blind Teachers has created a scholarship in memory of Marsha Dresser, longtime active member of ACB. In accordance with the wishes of her husband, Steve, the scholarship is intended for an undergraduate or graduate student who is visually impaired and studying for a career in teaching at any level and will be administered by the ACB Scholarship Committee. We know that Marsha was active and had friends in many other affiliates, and so we're offering this opportunity for all of you to honor her memory by contributing to the scholarship. The scholarship was awarded for the first time in 2016. We would like to continue it, but we need your help. AABT will match the first $700 of contributions. Checks should be made payable to AABT and sent to John Buckley, 1025 Re Way, Knoxville, Tennessee, 37909. ACBDA, list serve up and running. Happy New Year! We had great meetings at ACB's 2016 annual convention. One speaker gave a talk on his islet cell transplant. That was a miracle, to say the least. Have you renewed your dues? If not, consider joining or renewing your membership for 2017. Dues are $10 a year. To join, send a check or money order to Donna Seliger at 915 Ashworth Road, Apartment 208, West Des Moines, Iowa, 50265-3669. 
In conversations with blind people who have diabetes, there has been much talk about the lack of accessible continuous glucose monitoring meters and pumps. Having people post ideas or updates on the list serve would make for an interesting discussion. What is your experience? Advocacy is a top priority this year, and there is more work for all of us to do. Reno will be here before you know it. To keep up to date, join the list serve. Go to www.acblists.org slash m-a-i-l-m-a-n slash l-i-s-t-i-n-f-o. Then scroll down and look for American Council of the Blind Diabetics in Action. Hope to see you posting soon. CCLVI Scholarships Available The Council of Citizens with Low Vision International, CCLVI, will award three scholarships in the amount of $3,000 each to one full-time entering freshman, undergraduate, and graduate college students who are low vision, maintaining a strong GPA, and are involved in their school, local community. Application materials must be received by March 1. Scholarship monies will be awarded for the 2017-2018 academic year. To read the scholarship guidelines and complete an online application, visit www.cclvi.org and click on the CCLVI Scholarship Programs link. You may submit your application online from January 1 through March 1. The cutoff is 11.59 p.m. Eastern on March 1. If you have questions, contact CCLVI at 1-800-733-2258 or send a message to scholarship at cclvi.org. Ida Schwartzel, A Century of Memories, Part 1, by Greg Lindbergh. Editor's Note Greg Lindbergh is the editor of Florida's White Cane Bulletin. He was also a DKM first-timer in 2016. Let's take a trip back in time. It was the spring of 1916. Woodrow Wilson was in the White House. Just over 100 million people made up the population of the United States. It was nearly one year before the U.S. joined its allies in World War I. On the final day in May that year, Ida Restaino Schwartzel was born in Astoria on Long Island, New York. She was delivered at home by a midwife who was friends with her mother. She says she was her mother's miracle child. I was probably premature, although they didn't really know about all that at the time, she says. From birth, I was on oxygen and medication. They even gave me B12 shots. They did not expect me to live. But now, at 100, I feel better than ever. My mother always gave me an extra hug on my birthday and was amazed that I could keep going. If I ever took a vacation, we'd always look for the nearest hospital in case I needed medical attention. Schwartzel had four siblings, and her mother raised all five children due to her father's abusive personality. My mother was like the Rock of Gibraltar, she says. She could do absolutely anything. But the neighbors around us were very unaccepting of our mother because she was separated from our father. That was frowned upon much more back then. 
Her mother, Amelia, was just 17 years old when she came to the United States from her hometown of Naples, Italy, in the early 1900s. Amelia would later sponsor her only sister, Adelina, to become a U.S. citizen. In those days, you put yourself on the list to come to the U.S. You had to have a sponsor who was often a complete stranger. Many people could not speak English when they moved here. Schwartzel's grandmother had severe asthma, which she believes she inherited from her. She has struggled with breathing problems her entire life. My mother put two chairs together and laid a mattress across them. She put all of my medications, paper, and pencils on them, so that everything I needed was in one place. I missed a lot of school when I was young. I had to bring a clumsy oxygen tank to school and give it to the school nurse. When I had a breathing attack, the teacher took me to see the nurse. Kids would huff and puff while laughing at me, as I had trouble breathing, which goes to show that some kids have always been mean. I attended PS 83 in Astoria, New York. Schwartzel says it was a different world when she was growing up. When I was young, life was simple and trusting. The screen door on our house had just a little latch. It was such a different time. She has one surviving sister, Gilda Abel, who is 92. Her eldest sister was Amelia Virga, who was 11 years older than her. She also had two brothers, Mario and Giulio. I went to Lawrence High School for two years. There was Brown's Business School, where you could receive training to become a secretary. You had to pay the tuition two months in advance. My mom signed me up to go there for one month, but I wanted to be a seamstress, so I dropped out. My mother could take a rag and make something beautiful, so I really learned these skills and became a seamstress myself. The next chapter of her life would bring some big surprises that would impact her forever. I went on to work at Lord & Taylor, where I made girdles and bras and did lots of alterations. I met so many famous people there. I actually got to shake Eleanor Roosevelt's hand when she was first lady. She took the elevator up to our store, and she had several Secret Service men with her. All of the employees were lined up on either side of the aisle, she shook everyone's hand and had a pleasant word for everyone. When she took the store's manager's hand, he whispered something to her, and she started laughing hysterically. I was so eager to find out what he said and asked around if anyone knew what he told her, but he said it would always be a secret. I also met Dorothy Lamore, Eleanor Powell, and June Allison. The store was on Fifth Avenue in Manhattan, so all of the big names shopped there. She and her husband, Harold, were married for 60 years. The two first met when both worked at Lord & Taylor. I was a corsetier and started working there when I was about 17 or 18, she recalls. My future husband was a stock boy. He'd always wait for me at the employee exit. He kept bugging me to go out on a date, so I finally gave in. On our first date, he told me we were going to get married. I thought he was nuts, but we eventually did, and it's incredible we stayed together for all those years. Harold was a year and a half younger than his better half. He served in the U.S. Army for over four years, including stints at the Battle of the Bulge, the Battle of Normandy, 
and the battle at Patton's Run during World War II. In 1942, Harold was stationed at Fort Benning, Georgia. Ida took a bus to Columbus, Georgia, to meet him. This is where they would tie the knot. I sent a wire to him saying I was on my way, she recalls. He bought socks and cigarettes with the little money he had, so I wound up paying for the wedding ring, the hotel, and the justice of the peace to marry us at the courthouse. We stayed at the Ralston Hotel in Columbus for $10 a night. My mother was not too happy about all of this, since her other children had traditional church weddings. She recalls some early forms of technology to which she was exposed. When I was younger, I went to the World's Fair in Flushing, New York. They had an exhibit that showed how overpasses would be built and how they'd work all over our country. They called them highways of the sky, and everyone thought it was more like a pie-in-the-sky idea. Also, when one of our neighbors got a TV for the first time, everyone in the neighborhood would go over to his house and crowd around this little box that you could hardly see. That poor man, who was actually very wealthy, wished he had never opened his doors. Upon learning they had a child on the way, Schwartzel's doctor sent a telegram to her husband, who was at Fort Sutton, so that he would come to New York for Ida's pregnancy. The doctor told my husband to get me out of New York because I wouldn't be able to deliver my baby due to my health. He even mentioned an abortion. I wound up getting put on strict bed rest for six months and had to eat very lightly. I finally delivered the baby, but his face was so messed up because of how he came out. He also had one weak eye. We were in the hospital for two weeks. He finally started looking better physically. His name was Brian. He went on to serve in the Navy and worked as an airplane mechanic. He died at 59 from a heart attack. She also has a daughter, Linda Nicodemus, who is married to Bruce. My son-in-law is a prince, she enthuses. At one point, Schwartzel lived in Belton, Texas, right after her son was born and while her husband was stationed at Fort Hood. It cost me $10 a week to live in a country house in Texas. The woman who owned it knew I had a baby. She said I could only live there if my baby was quiet. I said he wouldn't make a sound, but he hollered and cried most of the time. There was no running water, no indoor plumbing, and no use of the refrigerator. I was there for three months. I had to mainly eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I had to use evaporated milk with water. I had to use an outhouse, and I had to fill up a pan with water from the outhouse to get any water there. I had to wash my son's clothes on a table with a galvanized pail. This woman wanted me out and made things so difficult for me. The Passing of a Pioneer, Theodore Bryant, by Alan Casey Theodore Bryant was present at the beginning when the North Carolina delegation and other state affiliates were expelled from the NFB. Subsequently, Theodore, Brady Jones, Marie Boring, Marvin Gatlin, and Edwin Craddock, with the assistance of Derwood K. McDaniel, Oral Miller, and Floyd Qualls, became charter members of the fledgling North Carolina Council of the Blind. For the next half-century, Theodore maintained his loyalty to NCCB and ACB, including a life membership in ACB. 
a North Carolina native, Theodore took degrees in agronomy from North Carolina A&T and the University of Illinois. He taught agriculture for several years until illness resulted in a loss of eyesight. After struggling with the challenges of impaired vision, he became actively involved in the organized blindness movement. Seeking opportunities to improve himself through education, he earned a law degree from North Carolina Central University. The founding of the North Carolina Council of the Blind opened new vistas of service. He served as NCCB president and a board member for a number of years thereafter, working first as a rehab counselor and later as a supervisor with the State Division of Services for the Blind. Theodore labored diligently for the creation of expanded employment opportunities for the visually impaired. Testifying on several occasions before legislative committees, he advocated for expanded programs and services and the requisite funding. He was appointed by the governor to the State Commission for the Blind and to other state-sponsored committees. Theodore passed away October 25, 2016, after a lengthy period of declining health at the age of 92. He never wavered from his commitment to the dignity and welfare of the visually impaired citizens of North Carolina. Throughout his life, he exhibited a modest dignity born of years of service to others. How to Use All Your Resources to Build Your Membership Compiled by Artis Bazin, ACB Membership Chair At our recent focus call, the participants discussed how to use all your resources to build your membership. We decided we had more ways of collecting possible members than we originally thought. See the list of those mentioned and use them to build your chapter or affiliate membership. Find prior membership lists and call past members and tell them of your current status, programs, advocacy, or personal celebrations. Have your membership chair check the ACB Affiliate Membership Management System to see who in your state hasn't joined. Ask each of your current members to contact all the blind or visually impaired people they know and invite them to a meeting and share the benefits of your group. Most new members come because they were invited by a friend or acquaintance. Invite anyone you've met previously at any affiliate or chapter function in a paratransit vehicle, or at a community event. Contact state agencies or the NLS library for your state and ask them if they'll do a mailing for you if your organization picks up the cost and or provides the letters and envelopes. Some may have a newsletter where they could include an article or a calendar item. Get a listing in the calendar section of your paper, cable channel, or newsletter of any appropriate organization. Take advantage of any online calendars on TV or radio websites. Attend local networking events in your community and share your organization's benefits. Ask about having a booth at local health fairs or state or county fairs. You could have someone braille people's names and sell raffle tickets or products if allowed. Find disability consortia or venues where visually impaired seniors might come. Talk with local ophthalmologists and doctors about having brochures in their offices for visually impaired people and ask if they might be willing to add an article to a newsletter if they distribute one.
join or visit local Lions Clubs and see if they would be willing to join or volunteer for special events. Purchase business cards for your chapter or affiliate members to distribute at events they attend. Start small group activities which might bring in people who aren't interested in a regular meeting but might come to a book club, birthday dinner, social event, diabetes seminar, technology fair, show, or described movie or play. Contact a visual impairment services coordinator at a local VA facility and send them information about your organization. Volunteer to speak to a group of clients at a local VA, orientation center, rehab center, senior center, or other state agency to tell them about your chapter and affiliate and how you support other visually impaired people through networking, scholarships, and other assistance. They may want to hear your personal story of vision loss. Contact local colleges and high schools to ask about visually impaired students. If they have some, they might be willing to give them flyers about your upcoming speakers or events. You could also volunteer to speak to them about the benefits of your affiliate or your personal story. Remember to invite sighted friends or family members to meetings and events. Some may wish to assist or participate. If you have membership questions, contact Artist Bazin at 818-238-9321 or B-A-Z-Y-N at B-A-Z-Y-N-C-O-M-M-U-N-I-C-A-T-I-O-N-S dot com. Here and There, edited by Sharon Strakowski. The announcement of products and services in this column does not represent an endorsement by the American Council of the Blind, its officers, or staff. Listings are free of charge for the benefit of our readers. The ACB Braille Forum cannot be held responsible for the reliability of the products and services mentioned. To submit items for this column, send a message to s-l-o-v-e-r-i-n-g at acb.org or phone the National Office at 1-800-424-8666 and leave a message in Sharon Lovering's mailbox. Information must be received at least two months ahead of publication date. Summer 2017 NASA Internship Opportunities Are you a high school or college student interested in aeronautics and outer space? NASA started taking applications for its summer 2017 internships on November 10. The application deadline is March 1, 2017. Don't delay. Apply early. The best opportunities fill up fast. NASA has internships for high school students and for rising freshmen through doctoral students in STEM fields. Applicants must be U.S. citizens, with a minimum GPA of 3.0 for college and 3.0 for high school. High school students must be at least 16 years old at the time the internship begins. Applying is a two-step process. First, register for an account at the One-Stop Shopping Initiative, OSSI, NASA Internships, Fellowships, and Scholarships, NIFS, at intern.nasa.gov. Then, select and apply to specific internship opportunities. If you have questions or need help applying, contact Kenneth Silberman 
at 301-286-9281 or via email k-e-n-n-e-t-h dot a dot s-i-l-b-e-r-m-a-n at n-a-s-a dot gov. Hands-on award winners. National Braille Press held its annual gala on October 28, 2016. The gala honored two legendary pioneers in the field of accessibility for the blind with the Hands-On Award. Joe Sullivan, founder of Duxbury Systems of Westford, Mass., and Dean Blazy, founder of Maryland Computer Services and Blazy Engineering. Duxbury Systems is the company responsible for the computer platform that transcribes the printed word to Braille. Blazy Engineering revolutionized accessibility technology with the creation of the Braille N-Speak and refreshable Braille note-takers. Blazy has also been an eminent force in the development of NBP's new refreshable Braille computer, the B2G. AFB's Learn Tech The American Foundation for the Blind recently launched Learn Tech, a technology access initiative that features free online tutorials to help people who are blind or visually impaired learn how to improve their computer and technology skills. The tutorials can be accessed at www.afb.org slash l-e-a-r-n-t-e-c-h. The newest tutorial offering for LearnTech is a 10-part series on using Google Docs and Google Drive with NVDA. When these tools are used together, computer users who are blind or visually impaired are able to use the computer for work or school without any additional expensive software. These tools also allow for easy project collaboration with others at school or in the workplace, leveling the playing field. Also available from LearnTech are the previously released Learn NVDA, free video tutorials that describe how to use the NVDA screen reader. Additional tutorials will be added to LearnTech over time. LearnTech tutorials were made possible with support from the Lions Club International Foundation, the Jesse Ball DuPont Fund, and the Consumer Technology Association Foundation. Dry Eye Center in Maryland The Dry Eye Center at Center for Total Eye Care is one of the first facilities in central Maryland to utilize a wide range of diagnostic technologies to pinpoint the underlying cause of a patient's dry eye condition and create an individualized treatment plan. Dr. Christine Luzuriaga, O.D., previously the head of a Pennsylvania dry eye clinic, now works alongside Dr. Cynthia June, one of Center for Total Eye Care's dry eye experts, to take a comprehensive and personalized approach to dry eye care. For more information, call 410-876-3333 or visit C-E-N-T-E-R-F-O-R-T-O-T-A-L-E-Y-E-C-A-R-E.com. New iPad App Edda Play Pauly is a new iPad app designed and developed for kids with visual impairment and multiple disorders. If your school, family, or educational specialists 
Use iPads for kids with special needs? Check out Edda Play Polly. In the app, users will experience a day in the life of a girl named Polly. The player goes through the game with a simple touch on the iPad screen. All the pictures are in bold colors and recognizable shapes are on a black background. For more information, visit edaplay.com slash en slash eda hyphen play hyphen p-a-u-l-i slash high-tech swap shop for sale oscar schmidt auto harp like new needs tuning asking 250 dollars or best offer contact christy marshall at 504-906-5765 text or call or via email k-r-o-c-h-e numerals 1812 at gmail.com ACB Officers President Kim Charlson Second Term 2017 57 Grandview Avenue Watertown, Massachusetts 02472 First Vice President Jeff Tom Second Term 2017 7414 Mooncrest Way Sacramento, California 95831-4046 Second Vice President John McCann First Term 2017 8761 East Placita Boulevard Tucson, Arizona 85715-5650 Secretary Ray Campbell Second term, 2017, 460 Rain Tree Court, number 3K, Glen Ellen, Illinois, 60137. Treasurer, Carla Rushevel, third term, 2017, 148 Vernon Avenue, Louisville, Kentucky, 40206. Immediate past president, Mitch Pomerantz. 1115 Cordova Street, number 402, Pasadena, California, 91106. ACB Board of Directors Jeff Bishop, Tucson, Arizona, first term, 2020. Denise Colley, Lacey, Washington, first term, 2020. Sarah Conrad, Madison, Wisconsin, final term, 2020. Dan Dillon, Hermitage, Tennessee, first term, 2020. Katie Frederick, Worthington, Ohio, first term, 2018. George Holliday, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, final term, 2018. Alan Peterson, Horace, North Dakota, final term, 2018. Patrick Sheehan, Silver Spring, Maryland, first term, 2018. Dan Spoon, Orlando, Florida, final term, 2020. David Trott, Talladega, Alabama, first term, 2018. Ex officio, Ron Brooks, Phoenix, Arizona. ACB Board of Publications, Ron Brooks, Chairman, Phoenix, Arizona, first term, 2017. Paul Edwards, Miami, Florida, first term, 2018. Susan Glass, Saratoga, California, first term, 2017. 
Debbie Lewis, Seattle, Washington, first term, 2018. Doug Powell, Falls Church, Virginia, second term, 2018. Ex officios, Katie Frederick, Worthington, Ohio, Bob Hache, Waltham, Massachusetts, Burl Colley, Lacey Washington, Carla Rushable, Louisville, Kentucky. Accessing your ACB Braille and eForums. The ACB eForum may be accessed by email on the ACB website, via download from the web page, in Word, plain text, or Braille ready file, or by phone at 605 475 8154. To subscribe to the email version, visit the ACB email lists page at www.acb.org. The ACB Braille Forum is available by mail in Braille, large print, half-speed four-track cassette tape, data CD, and via email. It is also available to read or download from ACB's webpage and by phone, 605-475-8154. Subscribe to the podcast versions from your second-generation Victor Reader stream or from www.acb.org slash bf.